Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Would you mind leaving us a review today? By leaving a review and a rating, it helps others to find us, and that would be a huge help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Now, on to our episode. I feel like in college it's so easy to feel like you're the only believer out there, and Satan thrives in that. One of the best tactics he has is to isolate you. Yeah. And so if there's anyone out there that's a college student and is thinking about or getting ready to go to college, thinking about, oh, should I join church? Is it worth it to get up early? Yes. 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 <laughs> and not only worth it, but essential. If you were to continue in the faith in college, that's not a negotiable thing. You need to find a church. Father's Day is next Sunday. Father's Day is a great time to reflect on the incredible blessing a loving and godly father is to his children. I have seen this firsthand in my own life with my father, and I pray that I will have wisdom to raise my own children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Before we go too far, I want to acknowledge that not everyone has a great or godly father. In fact, today there are a good number of people growing up without a father, or they have a father who is distant or even abusive. Fatherlessness is not God's design for you, and God the Father grieves over this loss in your life. As you listen to this episode, know that God can and will redeem those years as you seek him. I hope that you will still listen to this episode and that the Lord will use it in your life. Today, I have the honor to welcome a few of my colleagues and pastoral staff here at Church of the Apostles. Zach Carden is the Director of Family Ministries and Mark Johnston, pastor to students in both high school and college. Along with Zach and Mark, we invited each of their eldest sons, Seth Carden, a rising junior at university, and Elijah Johnston, who recently graduated from university. Together, we explore the father-son relationship and how we are to train up children under Christ's headship. This conversation covers the struggles and joys of instructing, guiding, and modeling Christ in the home. Seth and Elijah join in this fun conversation and help us to see the challenges of seeking Christ in a social media age and finding biblical community while on their own in college. Fathers, as we dive in, our hope is that this episode will leave you encouraged, grateful, hopeful, and filled with a desire to have an impact for Christ on your children. Together, let's consider what kind of leaders we hope to be to our wives, our families, and those around us. Now, on to our candid conversation. Well, today it's a great privilege. We have a special Father's Day episode with two of my colleagues, Mark Johnston and Zach Carden, and their sons, uh, Seth Carden and Elijah Johnston. Uh, Elijah has just graduated from the University of Georgia. I will refrain from go dogs. And Seth is a rising junior at Davidson College. Guys, thank you so much. I can't believe it's actually working out. So I'm excited about this. To get the ball rolling, 
worst Father's Day gift received and given and best Father's Day gift received and given? Is that you go uh, first? <laughs> I actually don't remember them all. Uh, all of them are, you know, I would say Good that any, I don't mind just getting like popsicle sticks with, you know, my name on it or like little crafts or whatever. I don't mind it. I really don't. Um, just to me, the thought counts. It's the thought that it's counts. The thought that counts. Okay. I mean, it's just to, to be remembered and, and you know, I, over the years I've gotten some, some good gifts. I mean, I can't remember all of them, but uh, you know, the just personal letters are always good. You know, this one's really good at, at writing the personal letters and uh, all that. But yeah, I mean, I think personal letters will probably be um, the best. I, I can't say what the worst is. I really, I don't think I've gotten a worst um, the worst would be if no one remembered. You will be referred to as this one for the rest of the, <laughs> right, the yeah, rest of the podcast. One, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever even received a gift from you. Have, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I'm with Zach. I can't remember as far as worse. Um, maybe uh, the most, um, kind of that I wouldn't use really would maybe be a pair of goofy socks, you know, as far as uh, with some kind of picture on them. But, uh, but I think either a note um, and there, there, there have been times where he's written, he's written things, you know, about what I, what I mean to him as a dad. Yeah. And I, I, that probably has been the most, I love books, but the, the notes are really, what's really special. Yeah, it's personal. I, I yeah. do actually have a funny story about one of the things that Talbot made for me. Now I don't know if it was for my birthday or for father's day. I think it was for father's day. She made me this little, uh, uh, I think gingham change pouch. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be nice and like use it. So I, I put quarters in it, brought it here and I'm going to, the mach- pouch, the not, machine not purse with the ma- machine and going not to the coat machines. Purse. And I zip, you know, <laughs> unzip this little pouch and Lauren set and Brittany's sitting over there and she goes, do you have a change purse? <laughs> like a little old lady. <laughs> and a, a gingham one. At that. Gingham I, was, I was trying so, to picture uh, the gingham in my head. And unashamedly, I said, yes, I do. My daughter made it for me. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know much about the whole, like, the love language yes, thing. Right. I don't sure. know much about it, but I do know that the one time I took it, I got a zero on gift giving, like a, a, a solid, yeah. Yeah. not even registered yeah. on the test. Um, but ladies, Elijah so, is so, available. So that's, yeah. why, that's why, uh, that's why the writing thing is, has always worked out for the best because I'm always like, I just, I'll just walk in a store and be like, I don't know that yeah. he would like any of this. Like yeah. this, <laughs> those tchotchke things kind of, they, they don't have great value, right? right. Unless it's got a, unless it has a sentimental tie to it. Yeah. Like yeah. you've been to a place or, right. you know, a sporting yeah. event or something yeah. Yeah. like that. That's right. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. So the image of fatherhood, the image of the father and his role in society is so negatively portrayed And yet we have statistics like this that show that children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school, 
75% less likely to have a teen birth and 80% less likely to spend time in jail, not to mention connections with, uh, we already mentioned teen pregnancy, substance abuse, issues with obesity and poverty. Why do you think there's such a strong connection to these issues and fathers specifically? I think fatherhood, uh, there's something about a father validating you in the sense of identity. I think that's what it is. I think that mothers are special and their, their ability to talk to the heart is one thing, but I think that the father almost establishes this sense of, you know, there's a high currency to his opinion and that that doesn't diminish anything that a mother does by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's almost that image bearing aspect of being a father and having a heavenly father. There's, there's so much there that is sort of, baked in by common grace that a dad gives and kind of uh, bestows the sense of identity. So we got to be careful when we're joking or, or yeah. you know, how we treat our, our kids. Cause sometimes the flippancy of what we do can come off yeah. as scarring emotionally for a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they just, they long to know that you love them and that you're spending time with them. Again, going back to what Zach was saying, validating them. That it's uh, where a lot of times young people are looking for, maybe there's something missing in their life and they try to fill it with all these different things. But if a father's involved with them and communicates to them, you're worthy of my time and my love, it not only affirms them, but it fills that void that they're yeah. looking for yeah, yeah. Or, or they're trying to fill. Well, so there's a, there's an emphasis on roles there and sort of fitting within, you know, for those who keep up with this sort of model, but sort of the complementarian model that a husband and a wife or a mother and a father sort of, there's a complementing of each other's roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right in bringing that up guys. I mean, uh, the young men in the room, well, someone that used to go here a long time ago, uh, Daniel Mason was talking to me right before Mother's Day about just what he had experienced when he was um, working in youth ministry in New Jersey. And he said, he's like, you know, I ministered to like a hundred plus kids. And um, I think it was kind of between different things. Like he mentored and ministered to about a hundred guys. And most of them came from families that only had one parent in the home. And he was saying kind of the differences in ministering to kids that only had a dad and kids that only had a mother. And um, he was saying that, like, the hardest thing with um, kids who only had a mother who didn't have a dad was that, like, he was like, they just, like, never seemed to have any concept of who they were. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, you could point them in the right direction. Right. And he was like, and you know, once you kind of, like, shared the gospel with them, it was kind of, you could work backwards and be like, you know, that's who you are. But that when they would kind of come in there, they would just be like, so unsure of like, who am I? Like, what's my direction in anything? Like, what do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? Like, where, where am I headed in all this? And how just, he had to kind of like constantly, you know, navigate, like, I don't even know how to tell what to tell you other than like point you to the gospel and right, kind of right. work, work backwards from right, there. But, right. you know, yeah, there's an authority position with that. Not that the mother doesn't have any authority, I even think about a lot of people that end up going into the military who are craving some authority figure to give them purpose and direction. Mm -hmm. And it seems that that's uniquely 
something that's uniquely given to fathers for their children, boys and girls, not just, you know, not just for the boys. Okay. So shifting now from kind of like that, the, the sort of uh, philosophical and some of the statistical stuff, but, you know, talking now about the stages of fatherhood or the stages of parenting, you know, there's, there seems to be a progression, um, the way you parent or father a child when they're an infant, you know, through to adulthood, here you are with your two boys who are, who are men now. Um, talk to us a little bit about the, the changes that take place in that progression of uh, developing as a parent. As they're younger, giving them a lot of direction to help them, you know, throughout their growing up years. But what I've seen as far as with Elijah, and we used to say this to him and to our other children is, as they've gotten older, being able to say, hey, we want to give you this freedom and we want to trust you until you show us that you can't be trusted. And as he's gotten older, understanding that my role as a dad is to help point him in the right direction, obviously to to the things of the Lord, but also as far as in some practical things of life, but also releasing some of that always being present over hovering over helicopter helicopter and parent right and and being able to allow him to do things and there may be times where he may fail but i think sometimes that's important to allow them to do those things and learn from those mistakes those those failures i think sometimes that's one of the things that we see today with a lot of young men they've they've had parents and not even allow them to to, to do fail. this, to yeah. fail, right? Yeah. And so, but I just from the which the sets early, them up for failure, which sets them up for failure <laughs> on correct. a bigger stage, right? But what I have seen, as far as even like with college, um, and there have been times where I've struggled, like, am I really a good father because I haven't hmm. called him several times this week? You yeah. know, uh, obviously praying for him, but giving him and treating him as a young man to make decisions, learn from those things. And also affirm him as he makes those decisions and say, hey, you did a really good job with this. Yeah. And, and so uh, that's what I've seen as far as in over the stages of him growing up. And my role as a father is, mm-hmm. is obviously being very much hands on early on. And then as they've gotten older, I've given them more and more freedom and, and uh, trusting and giving them the opportunities to do things that that they may have never been able to do. Mm. You move from more of an authoritarian position to an advisory position as they get older. And I think where things don't work is when you're more of a, you're not present when they're younger and then you want to kind of correct that and be more of the autocrat when they get older. And that doesn't work. I mean, if you really haven't done the groundwork early on (laughs) to to wrestle through those things at a a young age, they may not listen to you when they're older. Right. Right. I mean, you really do want to progress in that, you know, very early on, they don't have the wisdom and you you have to wrestle with them. And and part of it is not just do what I say, it's helping them understand why. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what we ended up talking. We talked a lot about that. Seth would constantly, well, why can't I do that? (laughs) And I would say, well, Imagine you did that in, in the world as a grown up, and what would yeah. happen? Yeah, you know, I'm sure. here to train you yeah. to operate in that world. Yeah. So you just kind of walk into that more advisory role, understanding that they do have freedom and they do have, you know, they're adults 
legally they're responsible for whatever happens. And so you're more or less advising them. And then when it doesn't work out, you more or less say, well, what did I say? <laughs> or That's when right. it does work out, you're like, I'm proud of you. I, yeah. You did a great job there. Yeah. 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 My three-year-old's asking a lot of the why question. And part of me wants to be lazy and just say, because I say so, right. Which is there's truth to that. Yeah. But I also know like putting in the time and the effort to just trying to explain to a toddler consequences and implications and all these things are, are important. And that's, I, I'm well aware that that's going to be going on for quite a while. Um, <laughs> yes. All right. For the boys here, what are some foundational lessons that your dads gave you that have set you on the paths that you're on today? Hmm. Take your time. Thank you for a specific one, but, um, I just think my dad really taught me how to to just to follow Christ with your entire life because you know the stereotype around pastors' children. Um, you can, We're all can be, in good company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> got, got many of those here, um, but they get, they can be one thing at church and then another thing at home. Yeah, that was with my dad. Um, he wasn't trying to hide his struggles. He wasn't putting on this image that like this, you, everyone be like me. Yeah. He intentionally tried to point us to Christ as the standard is this is, this is the kind of man you want to grow up to be a man of Christ. I think that was one of the biggest things that he's taught me is that, is that Christ is to be the model of our lives and that dads are not these perfect individuals. Um, and I, I think as a son, and if you're, if your dad is trying to put on this perfect image at home, then you're like, Oh, I can never be that. And so it's, it's just crushing. And you, you or just, you see the flaws and you kind of realize that's a liar. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, and so you lose your faith in yeah. this whole yeah. thing that your dad right. is doing and trying to teach you. You're like, right. Oh, if my dad's not doing it, or if my dad is, yeah. if my dad is putting on this image that I can never be to, why do I even try? Mm. And so you just end up rejecting mm. um, everything he's trying to teach you. So I think, I think that's, probably the biggest thing my dad taught me. I think that the temptation for a dad is to want their kids to idolize them when actually what they need to be doing yes. is worshiping Christ. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something I have always sort of like held on to is like being told at a young age, like, Hey, I believe in you and I want whatever you're doing. If it's glorifying the Lord and if it's honoring God and it's pointing other people to the Lord and you're doing it excellently. Like if you love it, that's what I want you to be doing. And I think at a young age, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I heard that and be like, but I, I just like go to school and play baseball. Like, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and, and I think that really kind of started clicking with me when I was, you know, like ending high school and going off to college and I was like, you know, an athlete my whole life. And I was like, no, I want to play music now and do all, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I just remember the first time, like one, one, there was like a show that we, me and my brother played and, and he, that was there like helping us load in gear. And I remember just having this moment being like, why on earth is he doing this? Mm -hmm. And then I thought back on like, well, like he meant that when he said like, if this is the thing that you love doing and it's like honoring to God, like I'm all the way for it. You know, I'm a hundred percent in, mm. um, which I think is always kind of like, is a good like model of that idea of like 
pointing, but like allowing for freedom because yeah. there's just a lot of people I know. And also in a kind of more like practical uh, pastor's kid kind of way, like being told at a young age, like, I don't want you to think that you have to do this kind of like ministry or do anything like this unless you really feel called mm. to it. Mm. And like not having this pressure of like, I have to be yeah. this person or, you know, be like, I have to follow in the footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which has been really nice. And also like just, there's been a lot of, a lot of like practical things that I've noticed a lot more as I've gotten older, how important they are. Like I've like never seen you be like, weird or speak anything negatively like towards our mom in front of us and i just know people who like the relationship between their parents and like mm -hmm. what plays out in front of them mm -hmm. is like really kind of scarring and hurtful and just knowing that like if there's a problem between the two of them that they're gonna work it out and like not sort of kind of wrap everybody else in like yeah you know any sort of problem yeah. is like Something that I didn't really appreciate until I'd noticed it not happening it in other else. people. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it can be quite jarring. Yeah. Um, so I had a follow-up question to that. I think you guys have uh, sort of tangentially answered it, but in viewing sort of the life lessons that are given to you as you're growing up, are they from a multiplicity of life lessons building towards a whole, making a well-rounded individual, or do you see it more as sort of from one core lesson that informs the sort of multiplicity of parts i think for me it's that one core lesson yeah. it's like it's really like the gospel like once you understand the gospel that understanding like spreads out to all these other like how do we obey how do you do this so i think my dad teaching me be like christ love christ want to be like christ and then teaching me how to do that yeah. that sticks with me and when i have decisions at college when, when my dad is not there, he's taught me yeah. be like Christ and I have the Holy spirit. I have my Bible. And so when I've been taught to be like Christ, yeah. then yeah. like I can, you don't need your dad to be there to, to tell, tell me what, what to, to do, do every time. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I make the wrong decision <laughs> and like, correct me. Sometimes <laughs> I make the wrong, <laughs> but um, I think the core learning to be like Christ has helped me in my the individual yeah. decisions that he can't always be there for. Cause I think sometimes, you know, as a young dad, I think, Oh gosh, you know, I have to teach him all these life lessons, but I think I've come back to that same conclusion of, I think I just have to teach him one lesson over and over and over and over again. Hmm. And that praying that that would work its way out into the multiplicity of parts and aspects of, uh, of sort of the human mind and, hmm. and, and life. Okay. One more to you guys. What is the greatest challenge from your dad and maybe something that you disagreed on? So I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, I was and probably continue to be to a lesser degree, hopefully, was very critical. And I remember my dad challenged me on that, um, sort of opened my eyes to see it because I don't think I saw it in myself and he pointed it out and then just sort of, he didn't beat me over the head with it, but he just sort of said, you need to be aware of this. And it, that sort of left this indelible mark for me personally. So is there anything sort of along the lines like that? It doesn't even necessarily have to be something that, that you disagreed on. I think something that always sticks out in my mind because I needed to hear it when I heard it. And it's the kind of interaction that I don't even know. It's like, I don't even know if you remember this happening, but I just remember one time 
I mean, I couldn't have been older than 14. And my brother picking on me or doing something and me just getting very offended and very get my feelings hurt, you know, uh, at an age where it was like, I'm too old to be acting like this. And I just remember him looking at me and rather than being like, just stop or you know, just calm down, just looking at me and, me and being like, why are you being so insecure about this? You know, why is that necessary for you to react with so much insecurity and so much defensiveness and me being like, yeah, okay, that's true. And I, I needed to hear that. And that is like something I always mm-hmm. like, that is a challenge that I like ask myself a lot of like, mm-hmm. do I need to be reacting with this much defensiveness and this much personal hurt all the time? Um, and something that like, honestly, as a kid, like being told and not in like a harsh way, but just being like, as a kid and a teenager, like, you know, sometimes when, when I tell you that you're doing something wrong, you take it like I'm telling you, you are like wrong or you are bad at this. And, um, I was joking with my boss recently at my job because he told me, he's like, I just really appreciate that. Like when I tell you that you screwed up, you, you just kind of roll with it. And I was like, dude, if my dad eight years ago could hear that, like, that'd be, that'd be big time because I, I just, I feel like that's something that I've like been challenged on for a lot of my life is like taking criticism better and taking like things, not as like an attack on my character that I've is like something I've really had to work on. and is like still, you know, something to work through. I think for me, one of the things that uh, dad has always tried to counsel me through and it's not, this is not one of the easier things to hear from your dad, but it's like, it's she's I'm not very good at, dealing with being under authority and taking instruction and asking for help. And like, he's my dad. And so that's kind of his job. And so that's, it's not an easy place to be when your son is, um, especially in my younger years, still, still even now today, but just immediately bucks at any kind of command or any kind of disagreement. And I think my dad's been very merciful to me in that because obviously that sin is directed at him. Um, so, but he's always been compassionate and merciful and easy. He doesn't react back to me, which would just cause it to be worse, but just try to teach me and again, point me to scripture and, and just, and he's making me aware that I have this issue and, but being merciful to me when that issue is, um, a lot of times with him. Hmm. And I would think the natural proclivity would just be sort of like put the yeah. put the obstinate child in their place. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Seth is an interesting character. I mean, I'd, I'd say I I would comment that he's like a drug resistant strain of bacteria. You have to try a cocktail of things with him when he was growing up. I mean, he would get used to the uh, he'd get used to forms of discipline, and I have to switch him up, you know. Yeah. And uh, in my opinion, when you're dealing with a child, you're dealing with a whole lot of mechanics going on in their heart, and every, each one is individual. One of the things, one of the scripture verses, and I wish I could quote it for you, and, and I knew exactly where it was, but early on, when God's talking about different people within Israel, he makes this illustration about different kinds of seed and what you do to different kinds of seed. Mm. And to me, that was just a parable of, look, as a father, you react differently to different situations. Like, there's no... Everybody wants to write a book about how do you discipline your child. Well, that's so unique to yes, them because they're unique absolutely. individuals. Yeah. 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 And so Seth was a very unique individual. My other three are very unique. And, 
and what works with him doesn't work with others. It could crush other ones. It's not one size fits all. Right. No formula. No, not at all. And it was never the backhand either. Like the backhand is very like demeaning. Yes. And he was very secure in his authority so that he felt like he didn't seem like my challenge's authority, like shook him. Like he was just like, you're my son. Like, but he never lorded his authority over me. It was discipline. It wasn't punishment. It was, it was Mm -hmm. son. Like I'm your dad and I'm trying to teach you how to live. It's not, I'm your dad. You do what I say because I'm your dad and you're my son. Um, yeah, discipline makes disciples, right? Instead of uh, some sort of subservient, uh, which you would find that in a lot of cultures, like in the Middle East, and you know that you're showing me disrespect, therefore I will demean you and cut you down. Right. And there's the even the thing as far as in raising our children, and I've I've said this to parents before about, and you know you probably all have heard this, but. The rules without a relationship lead to rebellion. Mm. I mean, again, no wonder we see young people think about God as this, you know, I'm ready to crush you, you know, if you step out of line. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where with our children, yes, they need to see that we're their father and that we're called to lead them and lead our families. But at the same time, they need to see that we're in relationship with them and we love them. It's not all about this authoritarian I'm ready to yeah. put you in your place all the way. Yeah. yeah. And they're they are like little they're they're all like little time bombs. And you're talking about them growing up. You, you, I thought you were going to say sponges. And I was like, yeah, there's some time bombs. I thought, well, you got to know which one to cut. Like in situations you could, you could cut the, you know, if you know your kid, yeah, you know, you know what'll set them off. You know, what's yeah. going to set them off. And in your sinfulness, you want to cut that wire sometimes yeah. Yeah. Uh, to prove, Hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm in control here. But, you know, knowing and having that wisdom about their heart, you're trying to diffuse the situation rather than escalate the situation. And I don't always do that well. Sometimes sure. I cut the wrong wire. Um, but that is part of that relationship with them. Right. You know their heart. You know who they mm, are. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, dads, what did you see or continue to see as your main objective in raising your children? Was there a goal in place? Is it... Now, I know this is going to sound like an obvious answer, but sort of success, is it character? Is it intelligence? Sort of where do you put emphasis and and, and maybe even how do you ratio some of these things out? I mean, John, when John says, I have no greater joy to know than know my children are walking in the truth. That's yeah. first and foremost for me. Right. But let me, let me be honest. I mean, I, yeah. I struggle sure. as a dad and like in my sinful nature. <laughs> That's my next question. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know where you're going. Mark and I totally agree on this. You got to be real. You got to be honest. Right. I want them to succeed. I know the struggle. I know, uh, you know, you struggle and you're like, I don't want my kids to have to struggle that way. Right. But in the end, if God is God, God is their God and God is going to have to help them with that struggle. So that's a struggle for me yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know for me, as far as being somebody who played athletics all my life and thrived in that and loved that, you know, I wanted my children to enjoy athletics and, yeah. and do well. But I also going back to the thing as far as our flesh and the sin that we deal with, as far as there can be that thing of, hey, I want them to be this so that other people will take notice, you know, of how well I've trained them or whatever. But ultimately, in all of that, what I had to get to a point of saying, okay, what is most important to me? Going back to your question, grades or character. And I used to tell them growing up, what's most important to me is that you know the Lord, that you have a relation, that it's your own faith. 
and that you're living this life for Christ, not for me, but out of a heart that truly desires that. But that in what you do, that you would have a desire, no matter what it is, sports, Mm -hmm. whatever occupation you have one day, is that your heart's desire would be to honor and glorify and use the gifts that God has given you, yeah. right? And that that would be the most important thing to me, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. But again, it is there is that struggle. I want you yeah. to be able to graduate. I want you to be able to get a job. Right. I want right. you to, right. you know. Because that's part of being dad, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember someone once saying his son was quite unwell at some point, and he said, I, I'd rather see my children saved than healthy. Which I thought was an interesting, you know, because we often hear, you know, we're obviously Lindsay and I are expecting our second. And so, you know, the the natural thing is to say, well, as long as it's a healthy baby. And I think, I mean, is that is that my mark of success for like a a newborn child? And I think that that will carry on into, you know, those later years. But like coming back to that issue of like the things that we desire to see in our children, we see that work its way out with young people today. So they are often driven by whatever they think will please their parents. You know, I've seen guys who have just busted their butt at athletics because their dad played baseball in college or whatever. And there's, there's so much reflection in that, in the way we relate to God, I think. What does it take to please you? Right. And I think, you know, unfortunately so many Christians get it wrong on what it takes to please God. Well, what I was going to say is that going back to the thing with athletics, I remember with Elijah growing up playing baseball and um, him coming to me as a freshman, getting ready to go in his freshman year. And he looks at me and he says, I don't think I'm playing baseball anymore. And I thought he was just meaning like, I'm going to take a season off and pick it back up. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, that, that's right. And what I didn't know is he had practiced in his room the, the speech that he was going to give to me. I didn't know that until <laughs> much, son. Yeah, right. <laughs> what I'm going to say to my dad because be he knew how much I, yeah. but I remember when he came to me, it caught me off guard and I thought, okay, now I have to put into practice what I've been telling all these dads all these years. Let them mm-hmm. be who they want to be and what they're passionate about instead of what you want them to be. Yeah. And I remember looking at him and I said, do you love baseball? No, dad, I don't love baseball. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I think I'm going to run. I think he was, he was talking about running or whatever. And I said, well, that's great. That's fine. And it was hard, but I think what it did, and he could tell you if this is true, I think it is. It freed him up. It took that pressure off of him of saying, Mm. okay, my dad's not going to try to steer me and me be like him in this, but I can be who I want to be when it comes in. And yeah, pursue the passions that I have or, yeah, yeah. you know, which even goes back to the individuality thing you brought up right. as it relates to discipline. Not, mm-hmm. not everyone is going to fit into that perfect right. little mold. Right. And, and not every child is actually going to succeed at what they want to do. <laughs> That's so right. the other side of parenthood is, is, is letting them try it and, yeah. and then say, you know, I really don't know that this is your gift right here. I, I have that something similar to that happened the day of that. I moved out of my dorm freshman year of college. And, uh, I had made a very weird kind of snap decision. I was like, I'm going to change my major after my whole first year of college. <laughs> and, um, I ran it by my friends and they were like, Oh, okay, whatever. You know? And, and I was like, I'm going to drop this on my parents right now. This, this is a great time to do this. It was, it was <laughs> listener. It was not a great time, <laughs> but I just remember I, what I what I went to UGA to do and what I ended up graduating with was uh, I went to go 
into the journalism program at Grady and everything. And so I, on the last day of freshman year, told my dad, I was like, uh, we were all as a family walking to dinner and I go, Hey, I think I'm going to change my major. And they were like, Oh, okay. You know what, what, the why? And I was like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to switch to the art school and, and do like the graphic design program and all this kind of stuff. And in my head, I had like this really ironclad reasoning for why. <laughs> and I just remember my mom being like, okay, yeah, whatever. And, and dad just kind of nodding and looking at me and go, okay, so you're going to go, you're going to do the art school. And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, I just have a question. And I said, what is it? And he goes, can you draw well? <laughs> and just like that, that fundamental baseline of like, are you good at like the building block the thing, of the thing that you want to do? And I was just like, huh, you know what? I guess I'm, I'm not. <laughs> and that being a moment of like, you know, another person or like another dad would have been like, you're an idiot or, you know, you're blah, 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 yeah, blah, right. blah. Okay. And just kind of the gentle kind of like, is that just really a what you're question. suited for? Yeah. Like, are yeah. you are you going to be good at that? And me, and kind of allowing me to be like, oh no, I'm going to fail. Like that's going to be a disaster. And him being kind of like, well, just remember, like you are good at you know the, the things you signed up to do right, in college. Right, the things right. you came here for are things you already have proven that you know how to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, no, that's yeah, <laughs> and just kind of that like. But I mean, that's like something in general. I think I've seen in my own life of like that I have to remind myself, especially when I'm talking to friends of mine or like my brother of like being like, this is going to work out better if I like just tell them what I think, but let them like come to the conclusion that I've already come to rather than kind of trying to like hit them with it of of when you kind of prod kind of gently and be like, is that really how it needs to be? Is that right? You know, and allow them to kind of like decide like, Oh no, you're right that's you know that that wasn't the right move or that that wasn't the right thing to do yeah i feel like that has worked better in my own life i remember when i thought about dropping out of seminary because i did poorly on something and yeah. and i told my dad and he said oh okay well what are you gonna do and i didn't have an answer <laughs> i thought oh oh i've kind of round myself yeah. into this uh yeah. you know and it was like just that simple question was like yeah. you to myself, it was like you dummy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're too far into this now, yeah. uh, and that served me well. Hopefully, um, okay. To the boys now. What are the biggest issues, and by issues I mean sort of the flashpoints, the hot topics that you faced in high school and college, and how did what sort of grounded you in in your view that was either against or for whatever those big um, big issues were for you. Like faith-wise or just life? Both. Hmm. I was just having a conversation with our friend Jack about this of like faith-wise, like something that I had a problem with when I started encountering people for my whole life where this kind of comes up, but people in church or people in you know, especially in college, like in kind of like campus ministry type settings where it's like, you know, you're like, oh man, like, you know, you're a Christian. That's great. Like, what do you think about the gospel or whatever? And it's just like getting these answers where it's like, I don't like, I don't <laughs> That's think we're not speaking the, the same language. <laughs> um, and kind of just this, and Jack called it um, just like believism. Yes. Just like, right. yeah. like 
just got to believe in, in God and in Jesus. Yeah. And like yeah. encountering that and not knowing how to like, not want to sh- like, sh- like yeah. shake them. Yeah. Like, what, come on. What do you mean? Yeah. You don't John know? 316. You know? um, <laughs> and just, and, and having like patience with people like that, but also like knowing how to speak truth to them when they need to hear it, because that is like something that I think, I think especially I've, I'd noticed like in college, just the nature of like, when you're in a ministry setting with a lot of college students where everything is so like peripheral and uh, what's the word kind of transient. Yeah. Um, it's like, you don't ever get a super good handle on where everybody's at. It can be really easy for people to kind of slip through the cracks and, and you not be really sure what they actually believe. And uh, you end up having these conversations with people that you've gone to church with for two years. And you're like, I don't know that we believe the same thing about like the fundamentals. Yeah. And that's like something that faith wise was always a big struggle for me. And I think life wise, something that I just encountered a lot, especially at UGA was just this grinding, like you have got to be just the most successful person in the world. And it's just like, like there's just things that I have done, like jobs I've had, like things that are very normal and kind of average about my everyday experience that I just remember having felt like embarrassed to tell people about, because it's like, how are you doing something that, or you, you make how much money at your job? Like, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z, like you don't have an internship at some fortune 500 company lined up for the summer and kind of always feeling like, wait, am I, am I doing this wrong? You know, was something that I think is like kind of was very ratcheted up as soon as I got to college of like kind of having this external pressure of like, if I'm not meeting these certain kind of uh, career marks or these like success marks that I've somehow wasted my time or my money or wasted my experience at this university. And that obviously wasn't true. But it's definitely been like, I think the thing that internally has messed with me the most since being in college of like having to work through a lot of feeling less than and feeling like I wasn't on the right track, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I went to college, like I thought I was ready. Like I, like I had it all like pictured out. Like we I, all was have. Gonna, I was going <laughs> to go there. I was going to. I was going to major in econ. I was going to make great grades. I was going to be the star of the swim team. I was going to join RUF, um, meet my wife, have lots of friends, <laughs> and it was going to be the best four years of my life. And then, and then August rolled around. And then August rolled around. <laughs> yeah, I got there and I was like, I am not ready for this. Like, and just, just failing in all aspects of life, and just like. I thought I was ready. This is not how I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, everyone here is so much smarter than me. They're so much better than me at swimming. Like, yeah, <laughs> like so much better at life. And I just like within the first three days of college, I just broke down. And I remember I was on my phone, on the phone with dad a lot that first week of school, just calling him and saying like, I can't do this. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transfer. Like, this This is not the place for yeah. me. This is not at all. He just was like, okay. Like, he's just never like, he wasn't like, oh, you're overreacting. You're like, in, in the kind of a harsh way. It's kind of like, oh, you need to suck it up, get it together. Like, you can do, he was just very, very merciful to me. And like, and he spoke truth to me in a 
place and time where I didn't have that many people yet who could speak the truth yeah, to me. Yeah. And he, and he not only spoke the truth to me when I needed to hear it, but pointed me toward those in RUF and yeah. around me and, yeah. and those that would pour truth into me um, at Davidson. Yeah. And so I just think that my dad was very instrumental to me at that time of staying in college. Um, not only by what he said to me and calling me and saying like, yeah, like it's not exactly how you thought it was going to be, but God has a plan for you. And mm. if this is not how you thought it was going to be, God has a better plan for That's you. Right. And if you're where he wants you to be, he will keep you there. If you're not, he'll bring you wherever, but just sit there and rest in that, like that God's got you. There's something enjoyable about the sovereignty of God that absolutely, <laughs> you know, Mark and I have the benefit. And here's the thing we should qualify yeah. during this whole discussion. Mark and I have the benefit of having walked with multiple students through yeah. different sure. life events. Sure. Right. So it wasn't a new concept for you. It's not know. like, yeah, because I, my first year working with college students here at this church, I had a former student who went to Georgia tech similar to Seth I mean, top of his class. Sure. Um, came from the same, same high school. Right. Went in, I met with him like maybe the, the, the second month. And he said, I mean, he just ashen faced, I'm going to fail out. <laughs> Yeah. And I was trying to encourage him the best way I knew how. And yeah. then I went and I met with the Baptist Student Union uh, director, uh, just trying to make contacts. And and I said, well, yeah, I met with this this guy. And he said this, he goes, they all say that. Mm. Yeah. And he's speaking from this incredible wisdom. He's like, the curve hits and they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. just yeah. like, but right. but they all come in thinking they're, they're, they're the top of their world. And then Which the world were. hits back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they the curve hits in and they're fine, but they have to find themselves. And then I was like, so we get, we get the benefit right. from seeing that and right. being able to apply it to our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What were you going to say? Mark? I was just going to say, as far as going back to the thing you were talking about, sovereignty of God, mm. Jonathan. And, and this is, again, I had to remind myself this, I don't know how many times, and I've shared it with parents is that we talk a lot about believing in the sovereignty of God, but a lot of times with our children, not putting it into practice. (laughs) And I I can remember reading a statistic about how many times a parent, when their child went off to college for the first time, called them during the week and basically, Hey, have you thought about this? Have you done this? Have you, and just, it was unbelievable, parenting, but trying to, from a distance, you know, uh, basically control or, or basically having them say, Hey, this, I need to make all these decisions for you. Yeah. And then also at the same time, you know, tracking them everywhere they go and all this other stuff. And then, you know, I have parents who will come to me and say, I'm, I'm really concerned and stuff like that about my kid off in college. And I've said to parents, listen, we, this is where we really, the rubber meets the road, knowing and believing and, and trusting that they're, they belong to God. Yeah. They're his and we have to trust him. With our children it doesn't mean we don't pray for them and we don't encourage them, yeah. but we can't live our lives in this fear of day to day of worrying about them. We have yeah. to let them live their lives. We have to let them depend on God yeah. in these things that they're navigating. Yes, we want to be there for them. But uh, and that's something that I've had to remind myself, you know, with, with Elijah and my other children, that when they're away, wherever they are, they're safe yeah. with the Lord. Well, I was going to sort of flip that question on its head, and you guys actually took it in a different direction, which is great. But, you know, I was thinking, 
sending a kid off to university, I'm, I'm scared that they're going to be indoctrinated with sort of some sort of Soji, you know, mentality. And then, you know, uh, you know, these sorts of things or, or some, some sort of Marxist ideology, they're going to come back. But I mean, as dads, what do you think, what do you think the biggest issues or concerns that you thought that they were going to face? Well, I, I mean, again, I, I work with college students for a number of years yeah. and I know what they faced. I mean, He's fairly candid with me, but I'm sure that there's plenty of things I don't know about. I'm not stupid. I mean, there was a college student. I was a college student. (laughs) There are sexual temptations. There are ideological temptations. And look, you should be scared about your kid going off university. I mean, because there is a system. And I don't want to sound like a typical hot wearing person, but it was true when I went and it's true now. There is an agenda to change how students think and to be fair they think they're doing the right thing, right? Dismantling everything to build them back up the way they want to. But from our world and life view, they're not uh, because they don't operate in the world of truth. Cause there is, there is no truth. There is no substantive truth. And so um, when you get into that world and you get into the peer pressure of a lot of people believing the same things, you're going to want to go along with that because you don't want to look, you're the odd man out this way. Now you're odd man out this way. Now you're the, there's, you just want something where you yeah. don't have to be the odd person out. You want to belong mm-hmm. to something. And, and typically you'll pick one of those things, whether it be ideological, sexual, you know, whatever, and, and then try to fit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, as, as parents, those conversations we have, my biggest deal is steer them towards someone where you can have an honest conversation mm-hmm. who has that. Because there comes a point where, yes, we're advisors, but there's details they don't really want you to know. And that's when they need somebody who's going to be in their world and in their life and be speaking truth to them like you would. Yes. But if you had said the same thing, they go, nah, you know, I know because I've, I've been on, I've been on this side of saying the truth that their parents said, and they're going, oh, my parents said that. I guess that makes sense. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that an issue with authority. Again, right? yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we all have that. And I'm and I, and I, yeah. You know, and I think as far as when, as far as going off to college and the concerns and, um, you do know, like Zach was saying, you're not dumb. You know, they're going to do things that you're not maybe going to know about. Uh, I, I used to think to myself, okay, how will I respond to Elijah if he calls me up or I find this out? you know, about him and it's disappointing or discouraging or even makes me angry of of being able to show grace and mercy that they need to see and hear uh, when they do do some things that as they're navigating and that type thing. But the other thing, too, is that one of the things I said to Elijah when he was getting ready to go to Georgia, and I I think it's crucial wherever a, a young person goes to school. Now, there's no formula, but I'm just saying of saying to him, hey, I want to encourage you. Campus ministries are great, but you need to find a church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You need to find a church because, and, and find a church where there are older people there, not just everybody looks yeah, like you, yeah, yeah. because you need the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs you to, you know, for the gifts that you have to be able to use them there and to be nurtured and loved and encouraged and prayed for. But, and as you go and you're involved in that church, they will uh, be so encouraged by you and they'll encourage you. And that's how it should work. But that was my thing was, I, you know, I would have been very fearful had he gone off to school and not been able to find a good church. He, yeah. For four years, yeah. he's been able to serve in a church 
And I know the pastor there. I know I know his wife. And I, I, I'm not going to speak for Elijah, but I think I, I will say I feel I have a strong feeling that he has seen the things that I had shared with him about in that church, you know, and there's a, a sense of community, but also the care of the Lord through that body of Christ while he's been there. But that's what helped me yeah. when I thought about what he might face is uh, just saying, hey, find a good church to be a part, because I think that's crucial. That was um, one of the specifics I was going to get to later. So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Um is it worth opening the can of uh, social media? What are some of the lessons that you want to teach kids high school and college age about the, the importance of navigating social media and just some of the dangers that can, can be there. And then you guys can even speak maybe specifically to what you've seen on it as uh, well. Gosh, I mean, there's, that's, that's a big can of worms. <laughs> it's a big one. We'll um, try and just, one thing I'd say is uh, Mark and I were blessed to have grown up in a time where no one had a camera. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. And no one posted anything on social media nope. because there's stuff that my parents still don't know I did. That's right. Um, it, but no, they're, but they're, they're listening to this. They're, that's that's right. fine. They, they, yeah. they know that. They, there are things that I tell them over the years that uh, I, I now can tell you this. That's it's right. A, I've written down a notebook with statute of limitations. Right. Now up, I can tell that's you. That's right. Um, they're used to that. No, I, there, there very much is a, a, a reputation aspect to, I mean, people will go back and dig up all kinds of things. I think of the news story where the young lady um, on her social media story said, said a, a derogatory word, right. uh, an ethnic slur. And then she got completely canceled. I mean, lost her scholarship to, um, I believe it was the university of Tennessee. Mm. Um, and my heart hurts for her. I mean, on one part, I'm like, that was foolish. You should never have done that. That was, um, it, it was not Right. And on the other hand, I'm like, you know, kids are stupid and they do stupid things. <laughs> yeah. And I did yeah. stupid things. And sure. if, if yeah. someone had a recorder on every time oh. I did a stupid thing and posted it online it sure. or I posted it online yes. being an idiot, yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to watch what you do. The world of social media is a dangerous place. And I would say the other, the flip side of that is it doesn't change when you get older. The dangers just get more nuanced and more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reality where you can lash out at people online. It's, it's a horrible place to discuss ideas because you can't see the body language of the person. Yeah, you, right. you haven't shared a meal with them. There's a reason Jesus was invited over to people's house or invited himself over to people's houses, right. as he, you could do in the Middle Eastern world. He didn't send a tweet out. No, no. He, he had a, there was a relational context. There was a presence there that just isn't the same when you, mm-hmm. when you're on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, as far as the one thing that I've shared with my kids and would share with others in our, as I have over the years is just remember that everything that you post, right. There are people who are watching and people that you're not even thinking about at the moment who have the ability to see things that you've written five years before mm-hmm. when it comes to work one day, you know, relationship. I mean, you name it. And that there's this digital footprint yeah. that you're creating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also knowing that going back to what Zach was saying, as far as just the, the relational, uh, one of the things that with social media and we hear all the time about so connected, but yet so lonely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that that is something that I just, I, I encourage people to think about that. It's so easy to be so like 
this is my world, but really missing out on the real world yeah. around. I have, I have 345 friends, you know, right. they're, they're all, you know, digital photos. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I, what, I mean, things I, you've seen or, or had to witness or I just, part of. I think in general, the thing that I'm trying to like remind myself of constantly with social media is that, um, there comes a point where it's just kind of making you ill And it's like, I had a conversation with my roommate the other day and he was getting kind of frustrated and he was like, I just feel like, you know, people in this era, like they just don't have the ability to think critically about anything. And I was like, I mean, and I told him, I was like, I think people that are 20 have probably always been bad at that. Like if I had, you know, I've probably been since forever. He was like, yeah, you're right. But he was talking about, he was like, but I, I mean like everybody. Like yeah. regardless of age, regardless of how smart they are, their background, mm-hmm. like I feel like the people in general have lost the ability to like wrap their head all the way around something. And I was like, well, the majority up until the last like 15 years throughout human history, no one has had access to as much like information and input. And just like you can find out every opinion that could possibly be had about any one thing at any moment all the time. And it's like, I don't think we were built to think Mm -hmm. about that much stuff all the time. And uh, I will get to a point where I'll just be reading about things that have no, nothing to do with me. And I'm just getting angry and I'm getting upset. I'm like, I want to, you know, lash out at this person. And then I kind of have to take a step back and think like, this is like making me nauseous. You know, this is like affecting this is messing up my day. Like I'm, I'm out, I'm trying to have a good day at work or I'm trying to have a good day with my friends and like something that doesn't matter has caused me to get this frustrated. And I think that's something I'm having to remind myself of, Mm. of like, don't let this make me ill, you know, and don't let Mm. this make me like, not just think less of other people and think badly of other people because that can come up in any situation. But, and you know, you don't want to be judgmental of other people and, you know, casting them off from your life because of, you know, what they do on the internet, but just like kind of taking a step back and being like, I need to remove myself from this when it gets to the point of it's, it's not, there's nothing about it that's filling me up anymore, yeah. you know, yeah. or even remotely practical or helpful. Yeah. But, that's not yeah. yeah. And I know it's different for everyone. So like some people can scroll through social media and not lust, not covet, not lash out in anger. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, <laughs> social media for me is really bad for my heart. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something I've had to learn, especially mm-hmm. in college. I wasn't on the social media a whole lot in high school, but I, you know, wanted to meet people at college. Sure. Just, and I just, you were looking for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got me. Um, but, but just, I just found myself going on there and just, and it's, it's such a fake world. Like, and, and you convince yourself that this is how your life should be. And I think of Romans eight, five, um, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on things of the flesh, mm-hmm. but those who live according to the spirit, set their mind on things of the spirit mm-hmm. and social media just, fixates my mind on things of the flesh. Yeah. And as a result, I found myself living according to the flesh. Yeah. And so for me, I've had to seriously limit my time on social media. Like I'm 
off Instagram altogether. I'm on Snapchat like five minutes a day. I have a limit. I'm not saying that everyone should do that because not everyone needs something as intense as that. But for me, I found myself, especially freshman year, the beginning of my sophomore year, it just discouraged me. And it was like, it was just a huge Mm -hmm. burden on Mm -hmm. my heart. I see everyone on there like has all these worldly worldly things that they have and they're showing off because well of course what's social media for and you you look and you, it's comparative you see oh i don't have these things and then it just it just totally you get sucked in yeah and and i mean those people are smart they know exactly what to show you they, they have it all yeah algorithm out um watch the social dilemma if you ever want to get scared about social media. if you need if you ever need motivation to get off social media um because that's scary. Uh, and as a Christian, as a young Christian man, you are under attack yeah. when you, every time you get on there. Yeah. Um, constantly, they're trying to pull you pull you into worldly thinking. And I just, I couldn't handle it. So I had to, I had to get off of it. And I found that it has helped me a lot to uh, set my mind mm. on things mm. of the spirit mm. instead of things of the flesh. Mm. <laughs> Just a couple of questions about specifics, Mark. You've already kind of answered the the importance of, of church things. So how do you instruct in the need or the necessity of, of Bible reading? Do you, do you find that that's more caught or taught or a balance of those two things? And what, what was sort of the home life Bible uh, teaching looking like? Well, I think we were more formal when they were younger. Yeah. Um, and... There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of reliance on being in good churches, et cetera, et cetera, and a lot of it was caught. Um, I don't know that they I don't know that they see me when I'm reading my Bible. I really don't. I know my dad saw my grandfather. Sure. He would sit and, and study the you know the Bible. I don't know that they see me sitting and reading the Bible. So I think when you when you teach that the the word is central, the ultimate reality is that you you have to go to the word. Like I said early on, it was a little bit more systematic in, in how we approach things. As we got older, or as the kids got older, I should say, it became more conversational. Uh, and I know Mark and I have talked about that. It, it's it's so much more conversational. You, you do get into the deep conversations about uh, faith. Sometimes they're surrounded about uh, around their life, and you get to apply scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think that that seeing the value of scripture is what causes someone to want to read scripture Yeah, uh, as you're applying it to uh, situations. It's, it's not sort of just a memory verse mentality yeah. kind of thing. Right. Then it's, it's kind of law. I mean, Satan yeah, can yeah. quote scripture better than anybody. Right. That's right. In our home. Not to diminish that. I'm sorry. Not to diminish <laughs> that. But I mean, mid-Bible memory is good. I'm not. Yes. Yes. Not, no, but, I understand. But you have to have the hard aspect right. you know, with the and that's, of it. And that's the thing is I think that definitely in our home, we had formal uh, as they were younger and in for, you know, the, in the car talking about things. I mean, as much as we're in the car today, yeah, you yeah. know, going and mobile as we yeah. are, you're listening to candid podcasts. We're listening to candid podcasts. <laughs> let's, let's listen to this. Just a gentle. Part. That's right. Um, but you know, asking them questions, you know, just about life, kind of what, what they think, and then obviously listening. Yeah. But um, I think the thing with my children have seen me, we have a very yeah, small home. So where I read my Bible mainly a lot of times is at the kitchen table. And so they will, you know, when I'm in there reading, they see me. But I'm not in there reading so they, they can, you know what I'm saying? It's, but my my desire for them has always been, you know, as I've prayed for them, it's not been a mandated 
you have to go read your Bible. It's been, I want to model it. I want to encourage you and ask, hey, what's, you know, have you been, what have you been reading recently, you know, in the, in the Word? And what's been really uh, a wonderful thing for me as a dad to hear from Elijah and my other children is when they unsolicited will say to me, hey, I recently have been reading in Ephesians. Or I've been recently reading this or I was thinking about this the other day. And that, you know, and so that really has encouraged me as a dad of, of just knowing that the Lord is working on their heart. And yeah. really, I've always wanted it to be more from the heart rather than it's a to do list. Yeah, yeah. You know. Anything you guys input wise? I mean, you, you may not have thought about it. I don't know if I really thought about yeah, it really. Um, growing up in terms of caught versus taught. Um, I know my brother always tells the story of when a friend of his came over and it was like super early in the morning. And he was he went to my brother. He was like, what's your dad doing? And then he went in and looked and he was like, my dad's praying. Yeah. <laughs> and he was in his office just on his knees praying. And yeah. But this guy had never seen his parents yeah. emulate any of those things. And, and that left a mark on my brother's life that was like, oh like what you were saying, whoa, that's someone my age who's never seen. We took it for granted because I just knew that's what dad did. So you're kind of like, that's what dad does. Yeah. But then if someone's like, what is, what is that? What is that? And and it's sort of the, you know, but that there's a, there's a model there, but I think it's a little bit of both maybe, but I don't, yeah, I don't even know if I've ever even heard that, that dichotomy, the cot versus taught thing. That's cool. Um, I do remember growing up, there was always kind of this thing of like, I'm not going to force you to read the Bible in a way that's like, I need a book report, you know, by the end of the week. (laughs) Um, And and, like, I'm not going to do that. And I, I just remember being thankful for that because I was always someone who really struggled with, you know, in a very practical sense, like whenever at school, they'd be like, we need you to read this. I would be like, no, you know, like, uh, let me put it off until the last minute. I don't right, like right. Yeah, yeah. reading when someone's like, I need you to read this for work or for this assignment. And so I kind of appreciated the thing of, I'm not going to make you treat this like it's, uh, like it's your work or mm-hmm. like it's, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. something that you have to do or I'll be upset with you. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's no joy in that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think my dad taught me to love scripture and he taught me the power of scripture from a young age. Um, I won't go into it, but as a kid, I was not a healthy child. We talked about, Oh, we hope the child's healthy. I was, I was not, that was right. not me. Um, and so, but I remember like, uh, physical health, yeah. physical, yeah, physical <laughs> health. Yes, just right, for yes. clarity. Yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but from the young age, I think it was just like, I was two or three. Um, when I was on the operating table, my dad used to recite to me uh, Psalm 56, 3. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And I took comfort in that as a little kid. And I think I think that was foundational in my growing love for Scripture is because he, ta- he taught me. It was never, oh, make sure you're reading the Bible or what have you read recently? I mean, there was a little bit of that. But I think he taught me to go to Scripture in times of trouble for, yeah. and, and he, and that taught me that there's comfort in scripture and, yeah. and that this yeah. is something that I, it's I not just a book of rules, or, right? It's yeah. not, it was never a book of rules. Mm-hmm. It was, it was something that is powerful and living and active yeah. and something that I want, something that I wanted to read. Yeah. Um, and of course you're a little kid, that's very, a very small part, but that grows of course, is that as the longer the Holy spirit had to work on me. Like I think, I think that was a very, 
foundational part of me learning to love to read scripture. Um, cause like Elijah said, like if someone tells me to do something, I, I mean, walls go, Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but he really taught me like why I should read scripture yeah. going back to that teaching the why and not, yeah, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's the line you used earlier that made me think, or maybe Mark, you said it, the, the rules and relationship aspect, mm-hmm. I think, you know, because I think the Bible can feel like this and I'm not uh, attributing this to my, my parents at all, but right. there was a little bit of a distance between me and scripture at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as I grew and I kept saying, you know what, I really want to know this. Right. And I don't feel like I know this well. Yeah. And I know that there's good answers in it, yeah. but I don't know how to just pull them out, extract right. them, decipher it. So then it became a little bit more relational. Yeah. And then as it became relational, mm-hmm. it became more living and active for me, though it is always that. Right. But, but then it became, you know, uh, it was sort of cutting me and yeah. healing me and lots right. of different aspects. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to hijack the conversation because this is a Father's Day uh, podcast, but I don't think we can minimize the, the role of moms yes. and um, mm-hmm. siblings, uh, right. you know, older siblings. I mean, you benefited mm-hmm. from an older sibling. Your siblings benefit from, from seeing you. Mm-hmm. Family has a way of, of yeah. it really rubbing off on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it is much them as, as it is any, any dad. Um, so uh, yeah. the family is a unit itself right. is such a testament. That, that, that. unified family, yeah. right? Of, it is reciprocal. Right. Like, exactly. I, you know, when you get lazy about your Bible reading and your kids are reading it, you're like, you know what? I need <laughs> That's to right. Are you, are you, are you done with you know, Spurgeon calls ministerialism, which is you're reading the Bible as unto, I'm going to teach this to somebody yes. rather than for yourself, for yourself. Right. right. Um, it really does have a way of, of reorienting mm-hmm. your heart and, and mm-hmm. pushing you back towards, uh, you know, how you first approached scripture when you were, when you were younger mm-hmm. and right. you were a new believer yep. mm-hmm. or a young believer. Mm-hmm. You know, if the model isn't there, then it's just, it's not going to happen. So you have to, you know, we know that faith comes by hearing. I think, I mean, even the disciples are asking Jesus, Lord, how do we pray? So mm-hmm. Teach us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he walks that out for them. Right. You know, obviously prayers, prayers an important aspect that is a taught mm-hmm. and caught, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that was one of the things, like, like I said, as far as have even like sitting around the table and, um, it's, it's easy for, as a dad to kind of, this is my role. Mm-hmm. I'll pray, you know, or even in any other situation, mm-hmm. I'm the one that prays, but, Inviting your children yeah. to pray yeah. around them a voice. giving yeah, yeah. them a voice, I yeah. think, is significant mm. in their lives. Yeah. Uh, this is, oh, this this is not you know it's more than oh that's what my dad does. I don't have to worry about that. But mm. giving them an opportunity to articulate yeah. what it is that they believe or they're thinking or they want to thank the Lord for, and I think that that's something that in our family, again, not perfectly or anything like that, but have tried to involve them in as far as to give them an opportunity to do that. And I'm sure you can agree, attest to this, but the, the emulation that comes with that. And I know Zach, I've heard you use the sermon illustration. I think of Seth, the mom dude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I'll notice when I, I say, Isaac, do you want to pray? Here's a little three and a half year old and he'll use all the words that I know he's heard me pray. And I'm yeah, like, that's right. Oh man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be careful where uh what you say and how you right, say it but, exactly yeah yeah because that can be negative like mom dude or it can be <laughs> positive like prayer yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe we need to fill that illustration out it was yeah it was when, when my uh, i was sitting in traffic and 
I was at a red light and uh, Seth, I heard this little voice in the back of the, <laughs> of the fan say, Mondu, Mondu. And I was like, what is he saying? And I'm like, oh, he's saying, come on, dude. He's saying what I'm saying. Like we were, when I get behind somebody and I still unfortunately say. I um, think I'm with was, you on that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I better be careful of what I'm yeah, saying because yeah. he's picking it up yeah, really yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll conclude with this. So we've, the, the, the sort of the specific things I think as, you know, maybe particularly for myself as a young dad, thinking about how, how do I help instruct my kids in scripture reading, prayer, um, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, dealing with issues, hmm. um, you know, rules and relationship, all that sort of thing. Mark, you've already you've already tackled my last issue, which was the importance of church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know this is has a lot of connectivity with both of you, Zach and Mark, because and and boys as well. You see a lot of people in your age group who are walking away from church, departing church, walking away from faith that maybe they had professed at some point at a young age. And so I kind of want to bring that issue back up in terms of coming back to the importance of church, Mm. you know, in an age where we do see a lot of the sort of millennial Gen Z generation walking away from it. What are some of the reasons or models that we give for displaying that importance of, of a church community life giving aspect? Mm -hmm. I think that you have to see, and I would be interested to hear what the, the young men have to say about this. <laughs> um, for me, you know, I I have a weird story myself. I grew up going to church ish. Um, we stopped going to church, uh-huh. so I have kind of a church kid story, but also kind of a rebellious kid coming to faith story. Right, and um, I don't really get that because it wasn't a pressure on me. Right, I didn't really understand. You weren't a preacher's kid. I wasn't a preacher's kid. I was a dentist kid that, that comes with his own <laughs> things that you can't eat that are sweet, etc. Um, but no, I, I, um, I don't understand in many, many senses this. My parents chose my faith for me and I'm mad about it because mm-hmm. my parents didn't choose my faith for me. Yeah. And I'm not mad about it yeah. because I came to Christ at 17 years of age in a desperately broken situation and in absolute need. And I don't understand in a lot of senses what it's like to be a church kid in many respects because of that, Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's real to me. Yeah. And I think that's the number one thing when you go to church and you're amongst a a community of people where it's real, Mm -hmm. that's the power. Mm -hmm. That's the power. Mm -hmm. Because I think of that old illustration was that the, um, was it George Whitfield? Whitfield. George Whitfield. Someone asked him yep. why, because you don't believe that stuff. And he said, he but does. He does. Yeah. That's right. And, and it, whether that's just myth or whatever, this truth at the core of that story, right. because it matters. Right. Know, whether you believe something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, I, for me, I came to faith when I was 10 years old, but I did not grow up in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to church, but our family was, it was off and on. So I also, you know, these young men have grown up in the church. Mm-hmm. You and I did not necessarily grow up in the church. Yeah. But one of the things that I have felt, and a lot of it has to do with what I have done for 30 years being involved in student ministry, is have prayed and wanted my children to love the church. Yeah. Because I obviously didn't grow up in the church. Yeah. Um, grew up in a very difficult home life. But after growing in the Lord and having 
Christ bringing people around me and me growing and seeing the the need and the beauty of it is so powerful, yeah. right? Yeah. But and the it's thing, real. And it's real. Yeah. And one of the things that I have, though he may not necessarily remember how many times I've said this, but have said to my children at different times, in the body of Christ, not if, but when, there are going to be people who are going to hurt you. Yeah say things to you, do maybe some difficult things that happen. That's going to happen. I don't want it to, but it will in some form, shape or form. Do not allow that to cause you to leave the body of Christ Mm -hmm. because Jesus Christ is the head Mm -hmm. of the, of the church and he loves you and he's designed, he's created you to bring him on and glory and to be part. You are part of his church Mm -hmm. But don't let what people do who are sinful, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, who know the Lord, don't allow what they do to cause you to hate the church or not want to have anything to do with the Lord. Yeah. Remember who is the head of the church, and it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to encourage them, no matter what church they may go to one day, yeah. of, of who is the head of the church. Well, now that both of your dads are crying. <laughs> um, I broke up just a little bit. I think, I think something that, like, I, when I got to college that, and I started going to a church that I still go to, um, that was really big and kind of realizing, and it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but basically growing up, it's like, well, I go to church here. I go to church with my dad where my dad works, where our family goes and that's where we go. And it's great. And I love it. And I'm at home there, but on some level it wasn't, it was never necessarily like my decision to this be the place we, where we are, you know, as I got older, you know, I felt like if I was ever like, I just don't want to go today. I probably could have gotten away with it. Never really pulled that one because there was no real need to. Um, but I, when I got to college, it was like, and I started going to a church there. I was like, I had to choose to be here and I live on the other side of town. Yeah. And I, you know, I have to get up and drive here and like, I have to go out and meet these people. And I, I got involved pretty quickly with the music team there and, and, when I got involved there, especially with music, I had been doing so much, you know, uh, playing in, you know, in the youth group and stuff like that um, at home that I was getting to a point of being a little, a little burnt out, a little bit like, I think I need a break. But I decided to go and, and, and try out with the team just because I was like, well, this is all I really know. And getting to that point of like meeting old, it was also the first time it had really ever been like mostly older people and mostly you know, I mean, most of the people that were on the team at that time, like had kids, you know, it was like five or six college students and then like some parents. Um, and I just remember like a month into school being at a, at a dinner and like, just telling them like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like at UGA, like this is difficult. This is, I'm just very confused, you know, And just having this kind of like emotional moment and them just being so, you know, supportive and like, you know, we're, we're here for you and, you know, wanting to point me towards the Lord and just being like, Oh, that was like what the church is. And I got, I, for a long time, I think had been very like, Oh, church is like 
the kind of the business of like, I get up and I put on nice clothes and I right. go and I have a cup of coffee and I talk to these people and whatever. And then just being like, Oh no. Yeah. No, that's, that's like all kind of secondary to like these people just like putting their arms around me and telling me about what the Lord says, you know, mm. was just very like eye opening and also retroactively showed me that's what it always was. I just sometimes missed that point. Yeah. You know, yeah. I sometimes like lost sight of that other places, but yeah. Finding a church where the gospel is preached and the congregation is full of repentant sinners mm. who acknowledge that they are just that mm. was the single best decision that I've made in college. <laughs> um, because I cannot, I cannot put into words how, refreshing and fulfilling it is as a college student who is struggling to go to church and hear from people who are also struggling and hear a pastor who's open about his struggles, but they know where to go with that. And they're not only able to admit, Hey, I've been where you are, but they're also able to point you. This is how, this is where you're supposed to go, Mm -hmm. go to Christ. And so, I mean, I remember there's been just multiple occasions where I've just been sitting in church at my church at college weeping, just, just for many different reasons. But I remember one time I came back from training trip. So I'm on the swim team and the swim team takes about 10 days, um, down in Florida just to just swim. And that's all we do. And so I was away from my Christian community, away from my family. And I was just setting my mind on things of the world. Um, and just, and, my heart was just in a terrible, terrible place. And I, I, I knew I was like, I need to go to church. And so the first Sunday back, I went to church and, um, our pastor preached on John where, um, just after Jesus's resurrection, um, the disciples are fishing and it's the whole feed my lambs. Do you yeah. love Peter? Do you love yeah. me? Yeah. Um, and I just remember sitting there just weeping mm. because I just felt the Holy spirit. And it's just, I can't, I I just can't explain how, what it feels like to be in a room with a body of believers and not feel so alone. Because I feel like in college, it's so easy to feel like you're the only believer out there. Like, and and Satan thrives in that. One of the best tactics he has is to isolate you. And Mm so um, if there's anyone out there that's a college student and is thinking about or getting ready to go to college, thinking about, oh, should I join church? Is it worth it to get up early? Yes. 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 And not only worth it, but essential. If you were to continue in the faith in college, that's not a negotiable thing. You need to find a church. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I've interviewed a lot of great, interesting, fantastic people, but this, I think this is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, this is great. Happy Father's Day to the dads. Happy Father's Day. Thank, Thank you. Boys. Thank you so Love much. Love being here. I hope that this, uh, will serve people well. So thank you for taking the time to join me. Thank you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.